Welcome to the podcast Beyond the Triangle. I'm Amy Beth Horman, and this is episode three, the second of my practice power pods designed specifically for the parents of young artists. We had an amazing response to our introductory episode, and I can't wait to give you some great insights on practice. As usual, I'm going to give you real talk from all the perspectives, student, teacher, adjudicator, and parent. Today, I am releasing three episodes to cover the practice advice I have for students in three age groups, elementary, middle school, and high school. But you might want to consider listening to all three. All kids are different, and they develop at different rates. There will be things from each of these three podcasts released today, which I bet will apply to everyone. This episode three is devoted to our middle school age students. If I'm lucky, you've listened to the last episode about elementary school learners. If so, did you hear anything in that first one that applies to your kid now? I think a bunch of it could apply to many middle schoolers I've taught over the last 25 years. Kids grow up too fast, we all say so, but there is an elementary spirit still living in your middle schooler, and if you are like me, you actually cherish the moments when you get a peek at it. Maybe it's nostalgia, or maybe it's just a part of their spirit still shining through. Some of my best adult friends and family have a childlike quality to them, honestly. Either way, if this describes your kid at times, consider going back and listening to the elementary school podcast as well. Some of those strategies might still work really well for your child. So let's get started. Now we are officially entering middle school years. Are we ready? I wasn't when my kid became a middle schooler, but off we went. Let's talk about what we know about child development for this age group. These are the years that bring school teachers to tears, honestly, and maybe some parents too. They certainly aren't easy for music teachers either. But why is this? I read a great article about this recently, and it shed some very interesting light on how I believe typical middle school woes can infringe on their advanced training in music. One of the things the article first pointed out as necessary background knowledge was how morality is fairly ingrained very early on in most children. The example they gave was this. When puppets were shown acting out roles of kindness or greed, the children ended up clearly favoring the puppet with a great moral compass in a group of two-year-olds. Even at two, they wanted to play with that puppet more. Middle schoolers, thankfully, still believe in what is right. Remember how they were fixated on things being fair in elementary school? They might have figured out by now that not everything is fair, but they still like to believe in that too. If they have had the right support from family and community, they know they're right from wrong by now, and this is good news for everyone. They are not likely to pickpocket someone on the street or kick someone in the shins for the fun of it, because this is obviously against the moral compass most of us were raised with. Instead, in middle school, what starts popping up is a series of tests against societal conventions. The term societal conventions refers to rules being placed on them, 
Like in school, they might be told no talking in class or no cell phones. Or at home, they might not be allowed to stay up past a certain hour. Or they are required to put away their own dishes. These are not rules dealing with their morality, but more just the greater societal good. And they seem to them to be more forced on them by adults. Remember the story I told in episode one about the young oboist who couldn't maintain his reed? In this way, teaching middle schoolers and parenting them can be incredibly frustrating. It will take them sometimes until well into high school to think around the corner far enough to grasp why a societal convention is put in place for everyone and how their contribution by adhering to that societal convention will benefit them and others around them. That's a pretty big corner to grasp when you think about it. Also, hormones are kicking in and they can be more impulsive. This mixed with the constant testing, it's just not a great recipe for the rigors of classical training, right? But they are also becoming more aware of the world, more interested in finding out who they are as people, and they're more fluid in their thinking in general. They can engage in seemingly adult discussions using metaphors. They interpret poetry and enjoy funnier jokes. I nicknamed my son Sarcasmo at this age. I loved spending time with him. Here is how I see their developmental challenges appearing in their classical training. Maybe you had a happy little practicer for years, and now they are shirking your efforts to get them to practice. There are peer pressures surfacing, too. Perhaps you had a kid who was taking notes from their teacher and proudly applying them before, and now they are ignoring the teacher's specific instructions, trying other things instead, often on their own without telling anyone about it. Why isn't the instruction working? because they aren't following it, and you aren't really welcome in the practice room to inspect it as often as you'd like. Refusal to follow simple things like fingerings or bowings in my teaching pop up right about now, and they want to know why can't they just make those decisions themselves. Sometimes they even change these things day to day. But how can we approach this leg of their training then better so that their progress doesn't slide. One thing middle schoolers really like is having some control over things. That's understandable. So what choices do they have still left to them in their training? Sometimes I think it helps to find things, and quickly. And it helps to have a teacher who is sometimes, not all the time, and maybe not on certain standard literature, willing to let them in on some decisions and editing. How about just offering them the choice of three pieces for a new piece of repertoire? A teacher should be able to identify three pieces that would teach essentially the same skill sets and see which one resonates with your child. Ask them if they aren't doing this already, and you might be surprised at how willing they are to implement this in your lessons. You know your kid, and if they are testing everything in sight, this might help. A teacher might not be seeing the testing at home or at school. They're not there. So they could be happily cruising along, choosing for them. But if you ask, they could give options instead. Be proactive. Now's an excellent time to start using technology. 
They can't argue with technology. They generally love using gadgets, and if you record a lesson, students can just review the instructions they were given on how to practice. This cuts down on a lot of arguing at home and a fair amount of grief in my studio. Some students I had used a live scribe pen recording sound with pen stroke together so that they could tap on a comment from the lesson and hear the part of the lesson that inspired it. Others recorded using iPads or phones, but the goal was always the same, to take the lesson home with you to help you review. Some parents had luck making a practice list from these recordings. But again, I would have the child do this. I might even count it as practice. I count lots of things as practice that other parents don't, though. Anything that gets their brain primed and organized for work should count in my book because it helps them focus more and gets things done quicker in the end. Since middle schoolers are eager on the road to self-discovery, help them develop their own voice and take initiative. Research different recordings and have them tell you which one they connect with and why. Now, with that list of things, ask them if they can help devise a plan to achieve those characteristics in their own practice. Self-imposed rules and plans work much better in this age group. Have them make a tempo chart or graph and set about a plan with the metronome to get from point A to point B by their next lesson. That is much different than asking them repeatedly to work with the metronome. You are asking them to engage in setting a plan into place, which is devised by them. Check in with them every day to see how they are doing. I remember vividly working with a metronome in our living room every night while my mom was cooking dinner. I remember the smell of dinner and the steam coming out of the kitchen while she asked me what number I was up to. I was doing it on my own, and I enjoyed the process of making my brain and body work for me. This is such a warm memory for me, I have trouble even describing it without missing my mother very much. I think it hits me this way because she had faith in me to do it on my own, but she was nearby. I knew she would cheer me on, and I knew she was really rooting for me on stage later. What things would they like to add to their interpretation to really make it theirs? Help them take ownership. Now is a great time to explore composition or writing their own cadenzas. This will help them develop the uniqueness of their voice and talent. Many middle schoolers suffer from insecurities socially and developmentally, as their bodies are changing and their emotions around relationships are heating up. Helping them develop a strong sense of self in their practice and work will make them want to come back for more. A list of things to do from you generally won't. Sure, a list might be necessary, but mix it up with other things that are personalized to them or, better yet, devised by them. Here's another angle you can use to ignite some practice. Tap into other interests of theirs that intersect with their musical studies. Maybe your kid loves history. Have them research what was happening while their piece was being written. One project I did with middle schoolers years ago was to research the culture, the fashion, food, and news trending around their compositions dates. Turns out, monkeys were sent into space right when the Kapolevsky Violin Concerto was being written. 
This motivated them to practice more. It was so fun imagining monkeys. They always started the concerto with a smile from then on. Composers were people too, and they were inspired by world events and events in their own lives too. How about Saint-Saëns? He had an absolutely tragic existence, and yet he wrote some of the most sublime music we will ever hear. How did he overcome such adversity? Helping your kids connect with their composers turns them into ambassadors of their music. They are representing their heartfelt work, and this taps into their sense of responsibility and their innate willingness to do right by someone they admire. Here's a personal story which helps illustrate a few of the ideas I've shared so far. I, myself, in middle school, was not fixing my bow grip as quickly as I could, secretly refusing to do run-throughs at home, not following my teacher's advice on rehearsals. You get the idea. And I was a kid you never had to tell to practice, but I was still testing in my own way, quietly. The content of my practice was really suspicious. So what was the turnaround for me? Well, I remember it like it was yesterday. Somehow in eighth grade, my teacher decided I was to play the entire Vinyasky Concerto No. 2 in a rep class. I thought this sounded great, and I am not sure what my parents even grasped the actual challenge of this. So they were just happy for me. I was practicing a lot, but they weren't really tapped into how I was practicing as they were both working a lot of the time. I had explicit instructions on how to play this gorgeous piece Some of them I followed, and some of them not so much. I hated run-throughs, preferring very much to hear medium-length segments that made me sound amazing. I was convinced without much thought that this was going to be great. I had my dress all planned out. I had basically glamorized the whole event in my mind. I am sure I had ample rehearsals with piano, but I'm also sure I just asked the pianist to go over sections until they all made me feel great, and then I let my parents pay them. When it came to concert day, I can't even tell you how much my body struggled. I got through it by the skin of my teeth, and my body was hot from embarrassment. I'm pretty sure the bottoms of my feet were bright red by the end. They were somehow clapping for me, And my parents seemed fine, but I was very quiet. I think my teacher said something about how there were many nice moments and see me at my next lesson. Not exactly what I wanted to hear. The thing is, in some very selfish way, I didn't feel any of the empowering, awesome, delicious things I knew I could. I actually felt robbed myself. And the audience was silly in my head to clap. I felt like they had been robbed too because they were left with no idea of how I actually wanted to play that piece. And I would probably never see them again. I was super awkward receiving their congratulations. If only they knew how I could have played that thing. I was really angry. So at my next lesson, I came in and told him, I was ready to change my way of practice and fix my bow grip for good. He smiled and was so happy for me. Did he set me up for this? Who knows? Maybe not. 
Was he and is he one of the smartest human beings I've ever come across? Yes, yes, definitely yes. Let's talk about scheduling practice. How is practice being scheduled these days in your house? Are you enjoying well-ingrained habits from before? A middle schooler might need a revamp. Have them experiment over a school break and chart when their body is inclined to do something artistic or creative or just productive. For me, I get pretty creative and want to write or make music at about 11 a.m. Maybe it's blood sugar related or just my own body's rhythm, but 11 is a magic hour to me. I also get pretty productive again around 7 o'clock in the evening. Charting helped me find this out. Most middle schoolers who I had try this for a few weeks found two to three times in common. Some of those times won't work normally, but keep them on the back burner for school breaks or summer. Find a time that will work and every day and instill in your kids the importance of protecting that time. This is their time to develop who they are with music and they shouldn't give it away to anyone or to any other activity. Teach them to value that time and the commitment they are making to themselves, and they will carry that with them forever. It is the power of choosing yourself, and the power of the word no, or maybe just no thanks. Most of my kids took pride in this time, and it was really sacred to them. If it stops working, chart again or revisit the other times and see if you can work your schedules differently. I just love the message this sends them to about tuning into their body and respecting it. Let's talk about practice technique and retention. At this point in their study, some of you might be straddling more than a few pieces at a time. If this is the case, charting is definitely your friend. I personally love to have my middle school students on three to four pieces of varying difficulty and from different periods. This gives them a lot to chew on in practice and some variety, which at this age can be a huge practice motivator. Hopefully they will feel inspired to keep track of what they are working on each day since they probably won't get to all of it. This will also begin to prepare them for what they will face in the high school years where the workload really goes up to meet demands of auditions and competitions. I do a lot of spaced repetition work with my talented middle schoolers because it seems to work to create the variety they crave while naturally spacing out their practice for maximum productivity. The theory behind spaced repetition is that dense repetitions are not as effective as sparse ones. If you haven't read about this, I suggest you do so now. So repeating the same passage over and over in a day apparently won't get you far. Doing it until you are relaxed and can play it a few times correctly is wonderful and necessary for improvement, but then it is okay to put it down to rest. At this point, rather than repeating what you just did ad nauseum, you can pick up another piece and do some thoughtful work on it. Rinse, lather, and repeat. Harder pieces will need more frequent check-ins, and easier ones can sometimes even skip a day, except for the trouble spots. You will still make progress, but slower. Slower progress is sometimes the single most frustrating thing for students and parents in this age group, but it is unavoidable even when they aren't doing multiple pieces at once. 
The concert works they are approaching are more complex now, as are the technical skill sets they are building. So things will start to build at a slower pace. To ease this transition, I do the spaced repetition work early with them so they receive variety in their work, and I add extra low-key performance opportunities to fill their motivation tanks. In many cases, you will still need to step into practice at this age to ensure they are doing as they are instructed in their lessons. And I recommend that parents still attend lessons at least once a month so that they can be aware of how things are going, but be sure to ask your teacher and see what they recommend. It's okay to do this because as much as they want to practice on their own, they need some help sometimes to stay on track and deep down they know it. Sometimes just offering to come in later during practice has been effective for me with my former middle schooler. I remember saying, how about I come in in about 20 minutes to give you an extra pair of eyes for that new technique he taught you? Or, can I come in and listen later? This is my favorite piece that you're playing, so I love to hear it. This can be a great way to enter practice and give some support and encouragement. If you are not attending lessons either by choice or by the request of the teacher, try and still be involved with the notes they are taking so you can do a bi-weekly check-in on their weekly goals. Middle schoolers tend to think they've got it before it has really solidified, and showing you progress by midweek can give them a much-needed boost of practice motivation. Middle schoolers also have a tendency to run things through a lot, but not to get down to the nitty-gritty. Try having them record themselves so that they can do their own critique and make a practice list for detail work later. So much can be gained from this. I have taught countless middle schoolers who were very talented, but needed to boost their awareness so that they could edit in a more detailed way and put polish on their pieces for performance. Having them self-record helped this a lot. They literally weren't aware of what they were doing. Some of them looked downright surprised at what they heard. This includes intonation and detail in their technique. As the parent, you can hear when things aren't quite right, but there is something about this age group that just makes it harder for them. They are so active playing that they don't always pick up on the details as they are happening which then won't prompt them to practice them later. If they don't hear it themselves, you telling them to practice probably won't cut it. And then there's the second pair of eyes I talked about. For violin, at this age, we work a lot on bow choreography, and I have found that in this age group, they will swear up and down that they are at the tip when they are still two inches away. I think they are growing so fast in this age group that they don't have a solid idea of what their bodies are even doing. They are in a very awkward phase for this, so having that second pair of eyes can be crucial. One thing to note is that that lack of awareness is not belligerence in most cases. I have seen some very frustrated parents about things like this. And actually, the kid is trying really hard, but just having a growth spurt. They need to be encouraged, and they also need to be given a little bit of slack so that they can catch up with themselves. We have enough battles, I'm sure, with our middle schoolers, but sometimes it isn't a battle of wills at all. So in those cases, our approach should be adjusted. Lastly, 
And I cannot stress this enough. Now is the time to show real faith and trust in your teacher. And having been a teacher and a mom and a student at this level, I know it isn't always easy. There are a lot of dynamics at play. This is a rough stage of development, and there are many techniques now being learned that take months to fully develop. You might find yourself wondering why things aren't going as smoothly as you would like. Your kid might be super disappointed at audition results or feel discouraged when their playing isn't improving the way they thought it could on a larger work. All of this is normal. Virtuosic training isn't for the faint of heart. There will be setbacks and the need to constantly refine. But know this, if your middle schooler senses that you doubt the abilities of the teacher to give you the right instruction and get them from point A to point B, they will lose direction in their practice. They just become confused and they don't know who to listen to. And unless you are a musician with a very extensive background in their instrument, it is completely common for you to not understand the ins and outs of the training at this point. Not every technical exercise or repertoire choice will seem right to you, and yet you need to place faith in the teacher you chose to ensure that your child will stay motivated and move forward. If indeed you do make a decision in the midst of these stages to switch teachers, there is a right way to do this, and we will talk about that in a future podcast because I am already getting emails about it. The music world is surprisingly small, so knowing how to transition to a new studio properly can be incredibly important. But for now, assuming that your teacher is top-notch, I advise you to trust them completely. Let's talk a little bit about how a community and peer group can really motivate a middle schooler to practice more. I cannot stress enough how much having a peer group or a sense of community amongst their peers can matter to kids this age. I definitely recommend chamber music and youth orchestras, as well as hopefully a studio that schedules regular rep classes or events that just get the kids together. Kids who are young artists sometimes have trouble finding their so-called tribe at school, and any efforts you make to help them locate other kids like them will strengthen their sense of self and make them more likely to love their training. Parents too need a peer group, and this next part might be very important to some of you. Find your tribe too. Find like-minded parents in your studio and stay away from the others. I know that sounds awful, but I promised you real talk. Some parents will make you feel like you are being asked for your kids' statistics And that's just not okay. At this level, there is a lot of competition in studios, and it's pretty unavoidable. I can't change that for any of you. So learn to find some families that you feel a good vibe with and nurture those relationships. You will be seeing each other a lot, and it really helps to see a friendly face on concert days or at auditions. Another thing that really motivates kids to practice is attending live concerts. It almost goes without saying that live performances can be very beneficial at this age. One thing that I think is often overlooked is the effect it has on their confidence. Because in live performances, you will see leading professionals often making mistakes. Live rehearsals are even better. 
Professionals generally don't sweat a mistake or two, and in rehearsal, they are seen as necessary cues for work, not fodder for judgment. When kids listen only to CDs or YouTube, some of them tend to become very critical of their mistakes, and needlessly so. This drives them away from practice. It becomes depressing to them and serves as a deterrent to progress. Nobody likes to do things that make them feel bad about themselves. CDs are edited and spliced, sometimes many times, even within a minute frame. They are perfected. This is not a fair thing for them to judge their playing against. YouTube videos are no better, really, because they could just be the CD that's set to an image, or at best, they are someone's best take or best performance that they've handpicked for YouTube. Once they realize this is not something to compare themselves directly to, they become more free and allow themselves to take more risks with communicating a musical message. And this can spur artistic growth. In my opinion, now is the optimum time for mistakes because they should be experimenting with their musical point of view and learning how to get their point across, not trying to be perfect like that CD they have. Playing safe in fear of mistakes yields a much smaller return in the long run. My next tip for helping kids stay motivated to practice is to simply put them on stage as much as you can. I often come across parents in my studio who are reluctant to sign up to perform or do auditions. I also run into parents at trial auditions for my studio who say they have a kid who has been on a piece forever, never seemingly quite ready to perform it. My opinion is you need to throw those kids on stage right now, set the date, make a concrete plan which gives them the idea of a consequence. Nothing motivates this age group more than having a concrete reason to practice. Once they have had that consequence of unproductive or absent-minded practice hit them a few times, they learn. So as much as you might get the urge to, don't always step in and take over their practice for them. They need to have mistakes on stage to appreciate the value of hard work. Pieces at higher levels will need many chances on stage anyway for the body to adjust to the adrenaline and demands of live performance. So you literally cannot escape them having some disappointing experiences on stage, even if they practice perfectly and even if you have a top-notch teacher. They will also have many triumphs. Choose a studio where there are rep classes, master classes, and lots of lower key opportunities to perform so that you aren't just finding your kid on stage once or twice a year. Once or twice a year won't cut it at this stage in the game, in my opinion. Find opportunities if you must at retirement homes, churches, schools, anywhere an audience is basically. This will be on you mainly because most teachers are not finding those types of opportunities for you but they are pretty easy to find. I found a church within a month of getting to San Francisco that would have Ava play in it. I sent an email, and then when they didn't respond, I attended a service, and we introduced ourselves. But while we're at it, let's talk expectations for the virtuosic works these kids are tackling. Are you setting expectations correctly for these big pieces your awesome kids are learning to play? Because if you aren't, this is the biggest practice killer I know. I used to tell my parents it took seven or eight times to get a kid to play at their full potential on a piece like the Mendelssohn. Note that I said at their full potential, 
not at Hillary Hahn's potential. So if you are participating in extended disappointment or find yourself caught in the why isn't this any better yet vicious cycle after the first performance is a little rocky, ask yourself this. Are you contributing to the right dynamic for advanced training? How about celebrating the first time on the stage, done and dusted? You can't get to number eight without getting done with one through seven, right? I always tell my students I'm so excited for performance number one, not because I expect it to be exactly as we planned, but because it means we are now on the journey to number eight, and we will have so much more information to use to strategize practice. Until performance number one, we won't know what the body will do with all these tricky passages. Some of them will go better than expected under adrenaline, and other spots, seemingly solid at home and in rehearsal, might get all shook up. Time to know what's what so that we can practice accordingly. So try and shift your focus to celebrate even starting that process of performing a piece which takes extra time on stage and extra dedication. Change the dialogue at home about it and in your own head as a parent. In this age group, it has worked really well for me to ask a kid to be a reporter on the scene of their own performance or rehearsal. What did they notice? What needs work? What went surprisingly well? I have them write it out or present it in the next lesson. Let's make a plan for practice this week that reflects all of those things, a la this part looks easy but clearly needs to be galvanized for stage. And this part here got all of our detailed attention and was a perfect little soldier. So let's go into maintenance work on that one. This brings more purpose to their practice. Then when they go into their next performance or rehearsal, they are in that mode where they are being observant, appreciating the experience and the value it can give them for an even stronger performance later. All of this will make them want to practice with more and more efficacy. Your vibe in all of this can make or break them. When parents focus on the mistakes and why things aren't there yet, the kids shy away from practice because it makes them feel badly about themselves. And who would want to feel that? When parents focus on what went right and how brave the kids are for working so hard and trying to play these pieces in front of an audience, the kids do infinitely better and they want to practice the next day. Remember that amazing feeling you had when your whole heart burst watching your kids perform in their very first recitals? Recapture that feeling. These are those same kids, but tackling mountains and hearing them even try is thrilling, to say the least. I read once on a teaching forum that the best thing you can tell your young artist is that one of your favorite things in the world is listening to them play. Don't feel that way anymore because the anxiety of these pieces has ratcheted you up to the ceiling. Take a time out and adjust expectations quick. I promise you, you will see a monumental improvement in their motivation and training. Here's the thing. I've had more students switch to my studio and more parents switch from me in middle school than any other age group. Think about why that might be, because switching studios is not always the best path. Middle schoolers are tough, 
and the parent-child dynamic is changing very rapidly. Add a young artist temperament to that, and you have the recipe for rough terrain ahead. Be thoughtful about your role and its importance in your young artist's practice and development. I frequently have had parents over-hover and control a middle schooler's practice, refusing to let them face consequences they are destined to knock up against eventually. Then in some cases, when these kids won competitions, the parents couldn't even muster up the energy to feel happy. That sounds funny, I know, but I'm more empathetic than judgmental. I think they were genuinely so tired from the struggles they were having around practice and so fearful of a poor result that they had no energy left to celebrate when things actually worked out. In each case, I told these parents to either be willing for their kids to have subpar results, to teach those life lessons, or take a break from competing altogether. Sometimes they seemed unwilling to do either. Just know this. Like any interpersonal relationship, there is going to be give and take, but as a counselor friend once told me, when contempt seeds in any relationship, it can be the beginning of the end. So if the practice struggles and performance anxieties are overshadowing the joy or making it hard for you to celebrate positive outcomes, something will need to give. The truth is, this is a special time for them in their work and practice where they are playing suddenly much larger and complex works and some of the challenges you are facing with practice may seem brand new. With a great teacher and the right guidance, you can cruise through middle school and have lots to be proud of while giving them experiences they will never forget. As I get ready to end this podcast, I feel I should mention that there are some really interesting points I make in the next podcast for high schoolers, for kids that are tackling more like three or four works at a time. If that describes your kid, head over to the next podcast and listen to the sections on spaced repetition and practice. There is a natural crossover of information in these podcasts, but since every child is unique, it might benefit you to go get a head start on the high school age group. I hope some of these suggestions that I've made today have been useful, and I hope they lead you to the best practice years ever. Our next podcast is coming soon, and I'm going to be talking about scheduling, sleep, and nutrition. These are what I call practice and performance primers. I have done some new research recently on sleep, specifically for children and of all ages. I'm really excited to share it with you because it has already changed how we do things in our house. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Podbean. If you have a question or a topic you would like to discuss on Beyond the Triangle, my ears are wide open. Write me at beyondthetrianglepodcast at gmail.com and let's connect. Let's connect.